Welcome to One Life Online, the podcast that brings you the weekly sermons at One Life Church, Kampala. In this episode, we listen to a sermon from Mark chapter 5, verses 7 through 20, titled, Deletion of the Region's Legion, presented by Martin Mutoki. As you listen to this message, may the Lord speak to you through His Word by His Spirit and cause you to walk according to His will by His grace. We saw in verse 1 that Jesus delivered the promise that He gave. Let us go over to the other side. And He took His disciples over to the other side. When they reached there, they found some men who were possessed with devils, we are told at the beginning of that chapter, and Jesus was compassionate enough to set them free, to give them a freedom that only he can be able to give, a deliverance that he only can be able to provide. Um, We also saw that the strength of that demon-possessed man, who were really two, was not his own, but it came from the power of Satan. And we saw that God is powerful over Satan and we must be dead to sin and our life hidden with Christ in God. So that man, those men really were in a horrendous, diabolical, evil, bad way. The verses tell us that there was no rest for them. They lived in dry, uninhabited, solitary, wild areas where there was death and despair and no hope There was no happiness, no joy, nothing good. They would cut themselves with stones. This is self-harm, self-inflicted pain. They were even deforming the image and likeness of God because our bodies are made in the image and likeness of God. And when we cut our bodies like they were doing with stones, they were defaming that image. Of course, not by their own desire, but because of the demons who were in them. That was the bad news. Then Jesus came into the picture. This is what we saw in verse 6. When Jesus came, everything changed. Even the demons understood that. They asked Jesus, have you come to destroy us before the time? Their theology there is very right. They know there is a time when they will be destroyed. And here they are worried that Jesus has come to met out eternal judgment on them before the time comes. And that's where we left up last Sunday. The reason that the demon said all of these things that he said in verse 7 of chapter 5, which were, what have we to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that you torment me not. Is because Jesus had said to the demons, get out of this man. Let this man go. For oftentimes it had caught him, and he, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. The demons, Jesus asked them, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion. Why is my name Legion? Verse 9 tells us, Mark tells us, for we are many. For many devils were entered into him. The demons identify themselves by the name Legion. Um, Some commentators have argued that this name Legion is actually the name of the man who was possessed with the demons. 
Um, I am not convinced by that, but there is that kind of an argument. But the demons identify themselves as legion. One Roman legion had about 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers. It is a military term that the demons choose to identify themselves with. 6,000 infantrymen. Of course, here the legion is metaphorical for many. There are many of us, as Mark tells us. And these many demons had gotten into these men, and they possessed them, and they harassed them, and they gave them no peace. I wondered, why does Jesus ask for the name? Why does Jesus ask for this name from the demons, from the man? The gospel writers do not tell us why Jesus does that, of course. But you wonder why. Why ask for the name? I propose you four reasons why Jesus asked. What is your name? Jesus did that for our intellectual benefit. To know that devils have names. They are names that are given to them. And the Holy Spirit allowed us to know that. The same way we know that Satan has a name, Lucifer. I recently came across a series called Lucifer. I haven't watched it, but I was interested because I saw a banner written Lucifer. And I wondered, what is this? Is this some kind of Bible story that tells us about Satan and his downfall? And the guy looks very handsome. See, most of you have already either seen the picture or, or the movie. I haven't watched it, but it attracted my eyes because of the name. And maybe the writers and producers chose that name deliberately because they knew it would attract people's eyes and attention. And for once I said, finally someone has portrayed the devil in a right way. They always portray him with horns and I don't know what kind of eyes and a tail. No, he's very cunning and very devious and comes to God's people in very smart ways, very clever, not forcing people to sin, but tempting them, as God said. Why does Jesus ask for the name? So that we understand the magnitude of the man's oppression. My name is Legion. And then you start thinking, ah, 3,000 to 6,000 are the number of infantrymen that would be in one, one infantry. And all these demons were in one person. Jesus wants us to understand the magnitude of the man's oppression. Perhaps number three, as a highlighting of the act of submission to him by the demons. You know, the way you read your Bible or a book and you use a highlighter to highlight, and Jesus wants to highlight this act of submission to him by the demons. So many of them. It doesn't matter the number. He's more powerful than them. Maybe, fourthly, as an expression of Jesus' authority, as well as an acknowledgement by the demons of that authority. That I am Jesus, I hold authority greater than any other authority that is held by anyone, anywhere, even the spirit world. And Jesus wants to express that authority. Maybe the idea you can think of here is the idea of a high figure in authority somewhere um, asking a low figure on authority, what is your name? Normally it is not vice versa. It is a boss asking the employee, hey, what is your name? or a cabinet secretary visits an area 
and then sees some people who are subordinated to him and asks them, what is your name? It is usually not the other way around. The, 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 the less, lesser civil servant does not ask the higher civil servant, what is your name? They would rather call them sir. It's the name that comes automatically. The demons here had called Jesus the most high God in verse 7. What have I to do with thee, you son of the most high God? If you read the Old Testament, that title, the most high God, is only given to the one true God as to distinguish him from all other manner of false gods, small g. Only the God of the Israelites is referred to as the most high God, and the demons know this is the son of the most high God. So perhaps as an expression of Jesus' authority. And then we are told in verse 10, that he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country, that he would not command them to go out into the deep. The demons say, don't, don't, don't send us out there in the wilderness, in the desert. Again, you wonder why. Why would they have this kind of a weird request? There is an argument that demons do not inhabit dry places. Remember when we looked at Matthew chapter 12 and verse 42, when the Pharisees and the scribes had accused Jesus of being demon-possessed? At some point, Jesus says, when he talks about the return of the unclean spirit in verse 43, that when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walks through dry places, seeking rest, and finds no rest. So some people say, ah, this is the reason why demons do not inhabit dry places, and that's why they ask him that he would send them out of the country into the deep, or rather he would not send them there. Compare that to the demon-possessed hogs, which we shall see in a few minutes, which perished in the waters. Perished in the waters. I think in many cultures there is a mysticism around water. Danger, helplessness, treacherousness, as we saw from Jesus coming the storm, have often been associated with large bodies of water. As if evil lives there, secrets lie therein. Many weird creatures lie below the water, creatures known and unknown. There's a program on, I don't know, Nat Geo or National Geographic called Drain the Oceans. Perhaps you've seen it. They use some kind of computer-generated artificial intelligence, something. I don't know. There are all manner of artificial intelligence things these days. They, they drain the oceans and they show us how it it would look like if there was no water and the things that we would find below the ocean. So many secrets, so many things that are unknown, so much mysticism. Some people even say, in supporting this argument about demons not inhabiting dry places, that when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee and there was a storm, we are told in Mark chapter 4 and verse 39 that Jesus rebuked the raging water. And they say, see, this word rebuked, it has an association with Jesus casting out demons. Now, for those of you who enjoy to go on cruises or sailing or on Lake Victoria, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news by saying this. I'm just trying to, to flesh out some things that have been discussed by other believers before us. If you are interested enough, you can dig deeper into the subject or you can do so and study about demonology if, if you want to do that. 
but I will move on, verse 11. There was there a good way off from them, near the mountains, a great herd of swine feeding. To the Jews, and by God's decree, pigs, or hogs, or swine, or boas, or what, or so, or rant, or whatever other name you want to use for them, were considered unclean. And they were not even supposed to go near them. So the Jews who saw this may have likely seen this as God's doing. They would certainly not have stopped it. They would have allowed it to happen. At the very least, they would have had no problem with it. Pigs were often associated with idolatry. Even in the scriptures, when we read of the abomination of desolation, there's a pig that is involved. Idolatry is the sin that God hates. Number one on his Ten Commandments, you shall have no other God before me. And of course, today we say, oh, there is nothing else that I have created that is made of wood or metal, but there is the idolatry that we can have in our hearts and on our minds. And so there was there, we are told, a good way off from them, verse 11. The good way off was likely not Jewish territory, likely Gentile territory, unless there were disobedient Jews who decided to keep this swine. So the swine were there. Then the devils besought him, verse 12, saying, if you cast us out, allow us to go away. Send us into the herd of swine that we may enter in unto them. All the devils, the verse tells us, the legion, a sizable number of these demons. No wonder the man was unusually strong, as we saw last Sunday, and severely harassed. They, say, they tell Jesus, if we would prefer to remain here, basically is what they are telling Jesus. We would prefer to remain here in our territory and to harass people. But okay, if you have to send us away, then send us into the herd of swine. Maybe because they would find rest and not have to be roaming, according to the proponents of the argument I mentioned a while ago. And so in verse 13, Jesus gave them leave. And he said unto them, go. Jesus gave them leave. This demonstrates Jesus' authority over demons, over the devil, and over all the powers of hell. If there is one person who is strong, if there is one person who can overcome the powers of hell and Satan, it is Jesus. That's why we best hide our lives under Jesus. The words of Colossians 3.2, that we die and hide our lives with Christ in God. That is the only way to overcome and to defeat Satan. So he tells them, go. It's just one word, go. Last week we saw three words, peace, be still. Now it's just one word, go. And all the demons left the man. They went out of the man and they entered into the swine. <laughs> Pig lovers, bacon and egg lovers. <laughs> Again, sorry, this someone may really, really cut you. Uh, but you know what? We are in a New Testament, New Covenant. Uh, you can eat your pigs and your bacon and your pork, hopefully with a, with a clean conscience. But the purpose of Jesus was not to offend you in your love for, no, for pork. But it is what it is. They, they entered into the swine. And again, that may answer your question, when a demon is cast out, where does it go? We saw that. May answer that question, why did Jesus not destroy them? We saw that. 
it was not their time. But we are told here in verse, in verse 13 that they were about 2,000. 2,000. And the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea, and they were choked in the sea, and they perished in the waters. What perished? The swine or the demons? Ah, no, this tests your theology, doesn't it? <laughs> demons are spirits. Also, we shall see people protesting, not at the demons destroyed, but at the perished pigs. So that gives you your answer. The more important question to me was, why did Jesus do that? Why did he listen and agree to their request to go into the pigs? Again, the gospel writers, they don't tell us. But I have five reasons, five possible reasons why he did that. First, he may have done that to save human life. Human life is of more value than pigs, than 2,000 pigs. Secondly, he may have done that to display Jesus' power and authority over demons. They are many. He has power. He has authority over all of them. It doesn't matter the number. Why did Jesus do that? Number three, to demonstrate the horrible, evil power that demons and Satan has. You can imagine if these demons destroyed 2,000 pigs. No wonder the men were put in shackles and fetters and chains on their legs and hands and on their body, and they broke them off. But Jesus says, it doesn't matter their power. I am all powerful. Why did Jesus do that, number four? To show the objective of demons. The objective is destruction. Nothing good, nothing good can come from Lucifer, from Satan, from the devil. Why did Jesus do that, number five? Perhaps for the sake of the two men. The two men had been harassed by this legion for so many years. And perhaps this is a demonstration, a physical, practical demonstration from them that they are gone. The, I have actually cast them into the depths of the sea. They are gone. And after so many years of harassment, they would be convinced in their mind that they have actually been delivered and set free. Sometimes Christians do that. Sometimes you do that. Sometimes you tell God, God, I want a sign from you. Not that you're tempting or testing God. You just, this, this situation is so distressful to me and so hard to me. Lord, I need to know for sure whether it has been dealt with. I need you to speak to me audibly. I need you to send someone. I need you to speak in a manner which I will say, I am sure that the Lord has done it. So maybe that's why Jesus allowed that and they saw that they had been drowned into the waters. Now that was the good that Jesus did. It is, it is amazingly compassionate. It is amazingly good. It is amazingly awesome. You want to say, yes, praise the Lord, this is good. This is an amazing thing. Jesus, come and stay with us, abide with us, don't go anywhere. Is that how they responded? No. Verse 14, they that fed the swine, when they saw what was done, the first thing they did, the verse tells us, they fled. They ran away. They went their way into and told it in the city and in the country 
everything. And what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And they went out to see what it was that was done. It's a good thing. They went and told. But they didn't tell the good done. What they told was the loss that they had incurred. And this was, this was a huge financial loss, if you look at it from that perspective. What is the value of a pig in Kampala or Uganda? Maybe what, half a million? More? Less? Anybody know? I don't know. But I used the figure of half a million, and I imagined 2,000 pigs. This would be about a billion Uganda shillings. And to Jesus, that is nothing compared to human life. Be that as it may, a billion Uganda shillings. What can we do with that? We can build our own sanctuary. We can do so many things with that money. 250,000 uh, dollars in Zimbabwe <laughs> or America. 200 and, I don't know, 20,000 pounds sterling or something like that. 290,000 Australian dollars. 260,000 euros. I want you to have the figure in your mind. It's not a small figure. And this is what they were concerned with, the huge financial loss. But you would imagine, you would think, as a good Christian, ah, that would be offset. It would be offset by the two men who are now set free. They were in shackles, they were demon-possessed, they were harassing our region, we could not have peace. It doesn't matter the loss. Money is lost, we can regain it again. That's okay, these men are free. But no, their concern was the hogs. They went and told, but they told it not from the perspective of the delivered man. They were angry at the loss. They were not glad for the man's freedom. It didn't excite them. Who do they remind you of? The Pharisees and the scribes, they are a picture of them, of the legalistic religious leaders of Jesus' day. They're not happy when anything good happens to another. Their concern is not the souls and the lives of people. They value temporary things above decent human life. So they went and told. What was the result of their going to tell? Verse 15. And behold, they, that is the whole city, they came to meet Jesus and they found the man and they saw him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. This is the point where one of those churches who have people who are very ecstatic, they wake up and they say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. God has done it. God has performed a miracle. These are the wonders of God. It's the goodness of God. And Mwaka comes up here and the instrumentalists come back and they play a song and we all stand up and clap our hands and rejoice and make a prayer of praise and adoration and thanksgiving and say someone who was, who was in shackles and fetters, who was lost, who was bound by Satan, that person is now free. Let us rejoice. Let us tell the whole world, look at what Jesus has done. But sadly, verse 15, they saw the man that was possessed with the devil. He had the legion. 
He was sitting. He was clothed. He was in his right mind. Look at what the Bible says. And they were afraid. What is wrong with these people, you wonder? And they were afraid. And this is not the fear of, of awe or reverence. It's the fear of anger and dread and trepidation. What were they afraid of, you think? Let me give you six possibilities. What were they afraid of? Maybe it was fear that the men were still not in their right mind and the men may attack them. You know, you have been used to one thing all your life. We are trying to give them the benefit of doubts. And maybe they are afraid, are these people quite okay? You know, there is an irony that happens here. Maybe you have noticed it. The man is possessed with devils. Everybody fears him. He's set free. Everybody else goes away. Who is left? Jesus and the man. The disciples are gone. Everyone else is gone. Only the two of them are left conversing. Maybe it was fear that the men were still not in their right mind and may attack them, but I doubt it. Maybe it was fear that he was now in his right mind at their expense, to their financial loss. Maybe number three, they feared more financial and material loss. They thought if this Jesus continues staying here, if you have already lost 2,000 swine, there may be more. What were they afraid of possibility for? Maybe some people were gaining from the men's miserable condition financially. In Acts chapter 16, there was a damsel who Paul set free from his demon oppression, a girl, a young girl. And we are told in Acts 16 that some people were gaining as a result of that. Maybe people here were also gaining in some way. Perhaps, number five, it was the fear of a new normal. You know that fear that people kept talking about before all the COVID issues came to an end? Or hopefully came to an end. That we now have a new normal. Maybe it was fear. They had a regular routine. They knew. They knew how to live with these men. But now that was interfered with. Maybe number six, it was fear that, would, that Jesus would expose their own hearts and that Jesus would expose their own sin and that Jesus would expose their own sinfulness. Maybe that's what they feared. Sometimes Christians, believers, refuse to let Jesus come and dwell in their hearts so to, so to speak, in manner of words, to, to give Jesus all of your heart and all, all of your life and all of your devotion. Because you are afraid if, if he comes, he will expose some sin, some evil, some wicked thing that you're comfortable in. Maybe some, something you do or some place you go or some media you consume, which you're still feeling, ah. <laughs> Maybe it was that kind of a fear. We can only imagine their fear and think how it applies to you and how it applies to me today. They wanted Jesus away maybe because of that.
And so they that saw it, verse 15, told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, by what means he that was possessed of the devils was healed, and also concerning the swine. They that saw it were obviously the disciples and the men and women of that area. Mark tells us they told the how. Luke tells us they told by what means. They went and told in detail what happened. So there was a space of time between when this happened and when they came back. They told how to the loss of pigs, people were set free from the devil's oppression. And then verse 17, and they, that is the whole multitude of the country of the gatherings round about, when they saw him, they began to pray him to depart from them out of their coasts, for they were what? They were taken with great fear. Those last words are not given by Mark, but Luke gives them. They were taken with great fear. The result to the gatherings was great fear. Last Sunday we saw Another contrast, how other people responded when Jesus calmed the storm. There was a great calm. When Jesus affects the hearts of men to their salvation, there is great calm. But these people were afraid of Jesus' power to expose sin and Satan's work in them, which clearly they were comfortable to continue living in. They were unhappy about the new freedom that the man has from Jesus. They were unhappy, they were not glad because of it. At the very least, you would think, should they not be happy that they can now pass where they could not? It's what we saw at the beginning of chapter 5. The Bible tells us no man could pass that way as a result of this demon-possessed man. They should be happy. Now we can, we can go to that, that coastal area. Should they not be happy that now many, many ships or boats are going to dock in this harbor and trade is going to improve and maybe tourism is going to improve? If they're not happy because of the spiritual blessing that Jesus has given, at least they should be happy because of the physical, natural, material blessing. And by the way, why are they angry at Jesus? Was it Jesus who destroyed the pigs? It was the demons. Let them be angry at the demons, not Jesus. The demons should be the subject of their anger. They, they, they should express direct displeasure at Satan, not the Lord. But of course, we find here the extent people will go to reject God, to deny God's word and work, and how much opposition exists against God's work. Until Jesus opens the eyes of the blind. We sang that. Until he finds the lost from their lostness, until he gives life to the dead, until he sets free those who are bound in unbreakable chains. And most of you, you can say, I was like that. I was bound in chains. I was tied with fetters. I was held hostage by ropes, which I could not be able to break by my own ability. Satan used to sit on my neck and oppress me. But now Jesus has set me free. So you wonder, how did I respond? How did you respond to the freedom that Christ gave? Is it with gladness of that new life and identity which he gives? Or is it, or is it with sadness 
of the things I can no longer do, of the places I can no longer go, of the people I can no longer be with, of the things I can no longer do. There are always two responses. For the Gadarene men, their freedom was won, and they were ecstatic. They were so happy. <laughs> what will be their response with their happiness and, 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 and gladness? Verse 18. Before that, we read. No, in verse 18, we read. They told Jesus, they prayed Jesus, they asked Jesus, leave, leave us and go. So verse 18 tells us, Jesus, when Jesus was come into the ship, Jesus obliges to them and says, okay, you want me to go, then I am leaving. He has already accomplished his purpose in that area. He has set captives free. He has presented the gospel, but he is unwanted. He is undesired. And so he leaves. He shakes off the dust of his feet, so to speak. And in leaving, he lives up to his own words. Remember Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6, where Jesus said, Do not give that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Do not continue giving the gospel to those who adamantly, blatantly reject it and oppose it and trample it down under their feet. So Jesus leaves this place and goes. In Acts chapter 18, when the Jews oppose Paul greatly and they reject him from time to time, he says, my hands are now clean of your blood. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Jesus lives up to his own words as he lives. He said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 13 to verse 15, they seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of, prophecy of Isaiah, who said, By hearing ye shall hear, and ye shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive, for this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But they have refused all of this, so Jesus lives. Then we are told, he that had been possessed with the devil, verse 18, the one who is set free automatically wants to be with Jesus. So in the same word that they used, they prayed Jesus that he would depart out of their coasts. Jesus, this man prays to Jesus that he might go with him. Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to go with you. But Jesus did not allow it, but sent him away. Interesting. Jesus agrees to the request of the demons. Send us away to the swine. Jesus disagrees with the request of the man who has been delivered. The one who trusts him, Jesus says no. The ones who oppose him, Jesus says go. What is this? This is God's sovereignty. God knows what he is doing. In the circumstances of our lives, which we feel, how can God say no to this? How can God say yes to this? How can God allow all of this madness that we are seeing happening to happen? 
We don't know why he does it, but he does it for his good, for his glory, and for our good. When we looked at Jesus calming the storm, who led the disciples to the storm? Who led the disciples to the hard, hardship or the difficulty they faced and the danger such that their lives were in jeopardy? Was it Satan? Was it the disciples themselves? It was Jesus himself. Let's go over to the other side. He knows there's a difficulty in the way. Brothers and sisters, in our Christian life, sometimes Jesus does that. He leads us to difficulties and hardships. Don't be surprised. If you are saved and you are told the Christian life will be pew, walk in the park. Hardships come, and sometimes God leads us to them. But in the same way he leads us to them, he leads us out of them and through them. Safely to the other side. Because we are convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not troubles or distress or diseases or persecution or hardships that come in this life. And so Jesus says, you shall not go with me. But Jesus says to him, look at this verse 18. Number one, go home to your friends. <laughs> you wonder which friends. Right? Apparently, this man still had friends, people who cared about him. Jesus tells him, return to your own house. Apparently, he still had accommodation and a house somewhere, maybe even a wife and children. Maybe property somewhere. He was not always demon-possessed, most likely. Maybe his house here refers to his extended family. Number three, Jesus says to them, not only go home to your friends, return to your own house, but tell them. Basically, witness. This is the gospel, witness. Just say it. It's not that complicated. Sometimes we think to be an evangelist, to witness, I have to make it. No, you don't have to make it complicated. Just go and say what Jesus has done for you. Just that. Just go and tell them. I mean, you are there in shackles. The man came from the other side of the sea, crossed over, docked at your harbor, came, delivered you. You are now free. It's as simple as that. Why should someone complicate it? Go and tell them. Go and witness. This is the gospel. Go and tell, not come and see. That is the Old Testament model. Today, we go and we tell. The disciples said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 20, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Of course, there were other times where Jesus said, go and don't tell anyone. And that serves a different purpose. Either his time had not come, he did not want to be famous, or because he faced a lot of oppression in that area. So Jesus tells him, go and tell, go and tell, go and tell them, go and witness. Witness two things. Listen, witness two things. How great things the Lord has done for you, number one, that is God's greatness to save. And witness number two, how God has had compassion on you. How great things God has done, how God has had compassion on you. So these men became the first gospel missionaries to their city and to their country. They were immediately evangelists. On the spot, converted and sent out. No need to wait, converted, go and tell. Who would have thought 
Before this, they were the dregs of society. They were outcasts. They were the last candidates for salvation. That person you look at in your community or in your office or wherever else and you think, that is the last candidate for salvation. In Jesus' eyes, that is the first candidate for salvation. You who was pointing that finger, Jesus is like, that is my first candidate for salvation. That dreg of society, that person who is written off. So although Jesus was not allowed to stay, his message, and most certainly his messengers, remained. And without doubt, they brought forth fruit as they preached and lived out the gospel of Jesus. Finally, verse 20, he departed, this man and his friend, and went his way and began to publish throughout the whole city and in Decapolis. He began to announce to herald, to preach, to speak, to publicize in Decapolis and the surrounding Gentile regions what things Jesus had done. And this is one way we know that they actually bore fruit and they witnessed. Because in Mark chapter 7 and verse 31 to 37, Jesus will return to this area where he will heal a dumb demoniac. How did they know about Jesus? Through the witness of these men who were set free. They told how great things Jesus had done for him. You cannot keep the good news of Jesus to yourself. Once you get it, you want to publish it everywhere. And anywhere you can be able to publish it. And go everywhere and tell people about Jesus, about how he set you free. About how you were once in chains, but now you are free. You were once in fetters, but now I have been set free. And all men did marvel. That's what we are told at the end of verse 20 at the message of a genuine, free, transformed, renewed, regenerated witness of the good news of Jesus Christ, at the new freedom in Jesus they now had. I was once in chains, now I am free. It's amazing grace as we sing in the song. A gracious and eternal Heavenly Father, we thank you for your salvation to those of us who you have saved from our great enemy of sin. We thank you for your deliverance, delivering those who are demon-possessed and demon-oppressed. You have all power and all authority to set free, and you do set free. Today we have read yet another of your miracle. Something only you can do. Something extraordinary, supernatural. Not within our ability or power. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But only you can do. Thank you for setting the captives free. Thank you even for sending out those that you, send, that you set free so that there would be missionaries and evangelists in day-to-day -day lives, perhaps in other countries or other places. Thank you for your gospel that renews, that regenerates, that revives, that delivers. We are partakers of that, most of us who are here. 
We can be able to say, I was now in chains, now I am not. And oftentimes we ask ourselves, how can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused him pain? For me to him who death pursued. This is amazing love. Amazing grace. At once I was bound with chains. But Jesus spoke some words to me through his spirit. And I arose. The dungeon flamed with light. The chains break off. I woke up and I followed him. That is the testimony of the demon-oppressed men. That is the testimony of some of us who are seated or listening to this message today. I pray, Father, for some who have not been delivered, that, that this would be their day of salvation. Now would be their appointed time to be set free, to repent of their sins, and to turn to Jesus and to salvation. For this reason you came, that you may seek and that you may save that which was lost. And so as we sing our closing song, let us think of your wondrous goodness and your wondrous grace toward us and pray that it would also be spread forth to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to God's Word today. Feel free to contact the pastor on phone at 0705-581-369. Or send an email to pastor at onelifechurch.ug. Or follow us on Facebook at One Life Church. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at One Life Church Kampala, Uganda. One Life Church is a multicultural community of believers equipped to serve Christ's mission. Music